Heavenly Father, we're here at your invitation. Lots of other opportunities to, to do stuff today. Lots of other things we can engage from work to recreation, from brunch to breakfast, from caring for those who we love to um, you, you name it. And, and we're here. And this is the place to be. You call us to let your word dwell in us richly. You tell us that we need to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so this morning, we're not jumping from lily pad to lily pad. We're sitting in the scriptures and and working, uh, working through what, what our lives look like. So I always pray, Lord, and you, you know it. Open the eyes of our heart to see a little bit more clearly. Open our ears to hear you a, a little bit more clearly. That again, we may be richly in your word and thoroughly equipped for every good work. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one of the things, if, if, if you follow along, and whether that's online or, or in person... Um, as we read through the Bible, and we, we, we read all, like, like if we read the First Corinthians, in, in the next months we will have read the whole book, which is kind of cool. And so I didn't want to skip any of that. And, and part of it is that the focus of 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 12 is on Christ. The other thing is, is that the Apostle Paul writes, until I come back, give yourself to the public reading of Scripture. That's one of the reasons why in a Lutheran service we have the public reading of Scripture. We don't hide it or deny it. Rather, we stand up and put our shoulders back and say, this is what we're all about. So this is a little piece of, of a continued reading from 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise or persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, not only the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for us, for those who love him, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. I love that sometimes that whisper on our ears that reminds us who we are and what we're all about, whisper of God's word speaking to us. Now, this week's a mellow week for many, and next week's crazy. How many people are cheering for the NFC Eagles next week? Yeah, it's about right. There's a few. One, good. And then how many are cheering for the Chiefs next week? Well, four or five, good. It is kind of interesting, right? You need to Google search how many um, chicken wings will be consumed next Sunday between 3 and 9 o'clock. 
the, 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 the cement truck loads of blue cheese and ranch dressing that we serve. How many avocados will go into how much guacamole, right? It's insane. And, and if you really want to blow your mind, Google how much money is transacted in gambling over the Super Bowl and how many parlay bets and all of those things. Me, I'm too tight to even buy a lottery ticket, so, you know, it's cool. But next week's a big week. And you know who's not playing next week? Thank you. I was thinking more of, of the quarterback who's not playing next week. Thank you. Appreciate that. And who else isn't playing next week? Tommy Brady. G-O-A-T, baby. The greatest of all time. The GOAT. Tom Brady's the GOAT. The greatest of all time. Think of that. Of all time. Every quarterback who's ever played, every footballer, he's the best. Now, you don't have to be a Patriots fan. If you're going to measure that by rings and success and wins and all that stuff, he's the greatest of all time. If you're going to measure by family and those things, maybe not so much. But to say something or someone is the greatest of all time is an enormous piece, right? The greatest president of all time, in my estimation, was Abraham Lincoln the greatest person that you know, the greatest person that you would look and say, the amount of influence that this person has over my life has been dramatic. My dad, my grandpa, I don't know. Some friends that are pretty influential now. Who's the goat, the greatest of all time? Well, this morning, we're going to look at the greatest sermon of all time, the greatest by far of, 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 of a sermon highlighting who God is, what God is all about, and why the kingdom of the world is so much different than the kingdom of, of God. Now, I want to start with a little geography, because I think it's just cool. If, if, if you look up at the upper left on that map, it's right there that Jesus spoke. And you can go to this place. And what's so cool is that it's a real place. It's, it's not like going to Disneyland and going into small world and going, oh, we were in Norway and they sang into small world. And then we went to, you know, Kenya was a small world. And then, and then it's not fantasy land. The place exists and it, it sits at the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's absolutely beautiful. From that hill, Jesus probably taught where that basilica is, which you can go into today. And then the the little amphitheater there where the trees are, where the people probably sat. My point is this, it's real. I didn't make it up. I didn't look and say, you know, this would be pretty cool. I didn't design a theme park around this. But Jesus taught here. The real man, the real dude, the real guy, Jesus stood there, taught there, and said these words. And I like that our faith is based on what's real and not fantasy land. I like that our faith is rock solid in history. And the more people dig in history, the more reality is, is more veracity is to the faith. The more they dig, the more they gather, the more they read, the more they study maps, the more real all of this is. And so when Jesus stood up at the crest of that hill in that place, he said these words, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. 
A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Familiar with the idea of you statements? You statements can be very, very powerful or very, very damaging. If my wife and I are getting into an argument and I use a you statement, I say, you are wrong. <laughs> not good, right? Those kind of you say, you are not thinking this clearly. You are a mess. You are ticking me off. You are making me angry. Some of those times, use statements like this where Jesus says these are, are painful, but not this one. This one is beautiful. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. It's like looking at, looking at your wife and saying, you are the apple of my eye. You are the best thing that ever happened in my life. You are the greatest gift and blessing that God has ever given to me. Those kind of you statements are what Jesus is talking about here. You are the light of the world. And as Jesus is speaking, more than likely, he's pointed at this city on a hill. That's the city of hippos, city of horses, a city that was just dug and excavated. My point is this. Jesus didn't have some abstraction sitting there and say, this is just like, you know, like a city on a hill. Probably where he was standing, he looked and he said, this is like the city on the hill that everyone can see and that when the lights are on it, everyone can perceive and, and understand where it's at and you know what it's all about and, and you can get right to it and you give light to everyone who's, who's around. You are, you are, you are, you are the light of the world. And what's so beautiful about being lights now in this world is that the world's kind of a dark place. Did anyone follow the, the balloon that went from one side of the world to the other this week? What'd you think? Did anyone look and say, oh, that's cool? I mean, I didn't. You'd like to say, man, I wonder how far that's going to go. That's kind of neat. How, what kind of oxygen? What kind of, how, how does that work? What did everyone think? What in the heck is going on? Shoot it down, man. Get the F, get the raptor out. Shoot that thing down. Let's go. What's your problem? I was, I was glad when it got shot down. But we live in a dark time. I compete with my brother-in-law in Minnesota about which state is more crazy, California or Minnesota. <laughs> Minnesota just took a step ahead of us. In the killing of preborn and the killing of children. Minnesota just took a leap ahead of us. Dark. They legislated the late-term abortions of little children. Dark. Dark. 
One of the reasons why God sent his son into the world was because in the old times, you sent your son to die for God and you sacrificed your child in the name of religion. And it was Jesus' movement, the Christian movement, that dispelled the darkness of death, of child labor and child slavery and child sacrifice. We live in kind of a dark time in that regard. My brother-in-law had to nod, and he's a goofball. I love him dearly. He's married to Barb's sister. And he said, uh, I think uh, finally Minnesota has surpassed California in being a dark place. Now, the piece of that that's interesting is that darkness shines brighter when it's contrasted with darkness. If you're in a dark room and you turn the flashlight of your phone on, it lights up the whole room. Jesus is speaking at a time of relative darkness where the, the focus of God is more on the Roman emperor. He's the guy. He's the God. Nero, Caesar. Caesar is God. And there was darkness that went along with that. And everybody knew it. The Romans were under the, 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 the Jews and the people that were under the foot of the Romans. And everyone knew what you could do and what you couldn't do. And when the hurt came down, I wonder... I wonder about living in a time where there's some darkness and how significant it is that we are the light of the world, that we, the church, are the city on a hill, that we as Christians are lights when we go into our jobs, we go into our business, we go into our offices. We are the lights. Jesus said, as long as I am in this world, I am the light of the world. Jesus had just healed a man born blind. I wonder what that looked like when the guy opened his eyes and they had this big fight. The church people had this big fight about was he really blind and all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And the guy looks at the, the people who are in the noise. You know, when I, you know me, I've been here. All I know is that this morning I woke up, I was blind. Right now I'm healed. And Jesus did it. Not long after that, Jesus says this, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The light that no darkness will overcome love that. Jesus is the light of the world. We don't have to kind of manufacture our own light, light our own wicks, light our own hearts, get our, you know, light our own self. No, no. Jesus is the light of the world. So like a mirror reflecting that, right? Like a, like, like a star that shines. We are connected to the light of the world, to Jesus. And Jesus ensured that. He ensured that in, in a real place, in a real time, around real people, in real history, doing real stuff. And as the light of the world, he shines the light of his love and grace on us this morning. And that light does kind of three things, right? If you've got the right kind of light, like the light I have for my pond, it, it's a light, an ultraviolet light that kills bacteria. And it keeps things cool. See, the light of Christ has that purifying piece of it as well. A piece that we come and we breathe out the, the sin and the guilt and the pain and the dark pieces of life. And God shines the light of his love on us. He purifies us with the light of his grace. He says, I know it ain't easy living where you're living following me, but I'm with you. And my light warms your heart and my light guides your path and my light brings purity to you. And that idea then about the light of Christ, the word of God, lighting and illuminating our path for us. I love that. This last 
two months since, since the turn of the year, I've done the Halo app. Are you familiar with that? Not the video game where you kill people, but the, right, the app. It's done by a Catholic guy out of Duluth, Minnesota, Father Schmidt. Haven't missed a day. I would offer that that's a really good way to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly and let that light shine on your heart on the way to work instead of even listening to Joe Rogan, the sainted Joe Rogan. Perhaps maybe a good use of time is letting the light of your life be stoked and reinforced by the word and the promise of God. So the word of God purifies, it directs, and it leads us home. I mentioned earlier that in our church, we've been out to that cemetery. I mean, by the end of March, we'll be out there 20 times. People are going home. It's not a place of death and loss. Well, it is of death and loss, but not eternal, right? It's not a place of defeat. It's a marvelous place of wholeness and new life. It's the people wait for God to tap them on the shoulder and raise them from the dead on the last day. Maybe that's why there's a resilience to Christians. Maybe that's why we stand firm and strong in dark times. Because our vision for our life isn't just here and now. There's something deeper and greater that we're driving toward. You are the light of the world. Called as a light to reflect the light of Jesus. So three things. First, you are the light of the world, and this world needs your light more than ever. It's one thing to turn your flashlight on, and like my grandson does, check the fish, Papa, check the fish, and he turns the flashlight on and shines it in my face and puts it in my eyes. I'm not talking about that. Because sometimes Christians have a reputation of doing that. Oh, now that I've pinned you down, I'm just going to pound you with this. It'll, it'll, it'll be great. I'm just going to beat you up. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the idea that as the light shines on us, a light of grace and mercy a light that's warmed our hearts in Jesus, that where we work and where we live and where we go to school and those in our homes and families, that instead of beating them or shining the light into their eyes, rather, we let that light that's warmed our hearts warm theirs. And our conversations are filled with grace and kindness rather than judgment and anger. We're not going to argue people into the light, but boy, when the light is there, it can warm their hearts. I know there's families where the children don't know Jesus. I've done a couple of funerals where the, the older boy kind of sits there in the front row like, whatever, dad made me do, and now, whatever. Our homes, our families, right? You are the light of the world in your home, in your job, in your business, in this culture. And boy, does the world need every bit of light, every bit of love that we can provide. And then Jesus has his kind of, he, he brings it together and again, shines his light on, on this reality. The idea that there's no minimalistic lives, right? You either get over the bar or, or you don't. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Where's the bar in your life? Where, where, where's the bar? Well, at least, right? Man, at, at, at least, right? at least. I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. I didn't, but, but at least. I'm a member at St. John's. I do not think that Jesus has at Heaven's Gate the St. John's directory, beautiful though they may be, and the picture is fantastic. 
Jesus isn't saying, you know, I've come to die so that you can just do whatever you want. I haven't abolished the Ten Commandments, so worship, honor your parents, honor life, respect your spouse, don't steal, tell the truth, don't lie, don't deceivingly try to gather for yourself all sorts of stuff from other people. No minimalistic lives. No dimming of the light by saying, well, at least. At, the, you know, at least I got this. I got the bar. Rather, as we grow older and the word of God dwells in us richly and deeply, the bar gets raised. And our lives become brighter and more attractive and beautiful before God and those before whom we live. No minimalistic living. And finally, your righteousness comes from Jesus. This is a picture of the place where the cross was. The cross was there. It's a real thing. You can see it. It's surreal. We had someone from our church crawl on their tummy on the other side to take a picture. I thought that was one of the most gutsy things I ever saw. I thought they were going to drag him out of there and beat the tar out of him, but it didn't work that way. Your righteousness comes from Jesus, who died on a cross that was set there. Jesus died on the cross, a real man from a real place with a real death for you and me. So instead of me standing before God and saying, well, I did pretty good letting my light shine. On that day where I'm in glory in eternity, Jesus is going to put his arm around me and say, Tim, you're with me. And my righteousness is your righteousness. And we're going in to paradise, into eternity together. Your righteousness comes from the Lord who fulfilled the law for you and who loves you with an everlasting love, who would never come to you and say, well, there's this one dark spot in your soul and sorry, but you're lost. Rather, the love of Jesus gathers us together and we're with him, the light of the world, the light that no darkness will ever overcome. One of the things I'm keenly aware of and growing more so is uh, humanity's need for ritual. One of the things our church has that's absolutely beautiful is history. We go back to 1882. I, I, I was standing in a presentation. I went to a conference in Florida and they said, okay, everybody stand up. And they go, Everyone whose church is 15 years old, sit down. Everyone whose church is 25 years, sit down. Everyone whose church is 87, finally it was me and my buddy from Michigan. His church was a little older than ours, but not much. With that history comes ritual, comes habits, good habits, comes culture, comes peace, comes a rootedness that's supernatural. And so this morning, we're going to share the sacrament of the altar, something that Christians have done since Jesus initiated this sacrament in a, in a room before he was crucified. It's not tying us to some weird thing. The body and blood of Christ ties us to God and to one another. And the ritual of that, the habit and the pattern of that is something that ties us into all Christians for all time. And I love that piece.